You are listening to Intergenerational Politics with Jill Wine-Banks and Victor Shi, where we host weekly political discussions that are engaging and relevant to all generations with experts on various issues facing our country today. Hey, this is Victor Shi. I'm going to be an incoming freshman at UCLA, and I'm also the youngest delegate here in Illinois for Joe Biden. Jill, Mimi and I know a lot about you, with Mimi being... Um, your former your fellow sister-in-law and myself being the co-host but can you give us everyone listening today just an introduction about who you are certainly but the most important of course is being sister-in-laws mm-hmm. uh, and not in the literal sense of by marriage but through msnbc there is a group of us uh, legal analysts who have become known as the sisters-in-law and mimi is one of them or was one of them until she ran for public office and uh, that's what we'll be talking about today in large part. Uh, aside from my current being a legal analyst for MSNBC, I'm the author of The Watergate Girl, uh, my memoir, which shares what it was like in a time when democracy worked and justice prevailed and when I was the only woman in the room. So that should be of interest to some of our listeners. Um, I also was general counsel of the Army and the head of the American Bar Association, the CEO of the American Bar Association, uh, and the deputy attorney general of the state of Illinois. So um, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum of being the one of the older Biden delegates. And that's how I got to meet Victor, who is absolutely a wonderful co-host for this. And we're hoping to bring you uh, pieces that are of interest to all generations, to those of you who are relating to Victor and to those of you who relate to me and everybody in between. So with that, let me turn it back to you, Victor. Yeah, so as always, we want to thank you for listening to Intergenerational Politics. Um, Last week, we were joined by Ellie Honig, who served as uh, an assistant U.S. attorney to the Southern District of New York. And today, we are joined by another former U.S. attorney to the Southern District of New York, Mimi Rocco, in which we will be discussing her recent DA election, which she's expected to win with huge margins and why local elections like the DA are so important for all generations. Mimi is a former assistant U.S. attorney, like I said, for the Southern District of New York, serving from February 2001 until October 2017. As an AUSA, Mimi was involved in the prosecution of organized crimes, gun traffickers, corrupt public officials, narcotic dealers, sex traffickers, and child predators. In 2011, uh, President Barack Obama nominated Mimi to become the chief of Westchester Division for the Department of Justice. Mimi served as a primary liaison with law enforcement agencies as well as other prosecutorial offices such as the Westchester District Attorney's offices and coordinated and co-chaired multi-county task forces on specific issues such as human trafficking and the opioid overdose epidemic. Since 2017, Uh, Mimi has been the Pace University School of Law's Distinguished Fellow in Criminal Justice and a Legal Analyst for MSNBC as well as NBC News. And most recently, Mimi ran to become the District Attorney in Westchester, New York, and based on the election results available now, Mimi is expected to win in huge margins, which makes myself, Jill, all the sisters-in-law, and everyone tuning in here today so excited. So thank you so much for being here, Mimi. So... uh... Ellie, when he was on last week, mentioned that you had been his mentor. And so um, if you want to, he said very nice things about you and how lucky he was to have had you. Uh, If you want to say anything back to Ellie, we'd be happy to give you that opportunity. 
Uh, well, there's, there's so many different, you know, intersections here, actually, for me, of, of, of many different generations. Um, first of all, I'll say thank you to, to Jill and to my sisters-in-law. And uh, I think one of you met, said I was a former sister-in-law. Once you're a sister-in-law, you're always a sister-in-law. It's like, it's like a mom. You cannot be a <laughs> uh, prosecutor. Um, so I proudly will, will stay a member of that. Um, because it's a great sisterhood, really, of, of women supporters and friends, and that's what we all, you know, really need in our lives, especially right now. Um, and yes, so Ellie uh, was someone who I supervised um, first, and then eventually, when I was chief of the organized crime unit, he was um, my deputy chief at one point. And, you know, Ellie is just as amazing as he seems. I mean, people who see him on CNN, people who listen to him on your podcast, people who read what he writes um, for pre uh, Barrara's podcast and, and newsletter, you know, Ellie is a machine. I mean, in, in a good way. I mean, he just, his energy is, is just remarkable. And, you know, I say that having worked with a lot of smart, energetic people, but Ellie is the one who, if you want to get something done, get it done right, get it done quickly, get it done smartly, you know, Ellie is the person to turn to. Um, he's really a force to be reckoned with. So he's already done amazing things, but I'm excited to see what else he does with, with his career. And he's a great dad and husband, too. I have to throw that in yes. there because it is a big part of his identity. And I always really respect it and love that about him. And he and Dan Goldman and I um, all work together. So, wow. you know, again, I'm lucky to have worked with um, such wonderful, wonderful people. Um, well, we were so very glad to have him here. as a guest. Yeah. Uh, it was my first time meeting him. And he's just delightful and wonderful. Mm -hmm. So I want to start today's show, though, talking about what happened today, which is the Supreme Court decisions on the tax returns and financial reports, um, financial documents of Donald Trump, and um, whether Congress could get them and whether the DA could get them. Of course, I want to focus on the DA, since in your new role, we are sure that you will be the winner in November. Um, I just want to look at what does that decision mean to you? And do you know of anything pending in your jurisdiction that you might be able to take advantage of the decision that would allow you to get tax returns or any other information that the president is not above the law, that the president has to comply um, and anything that you'd like to say about that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think it's just worth mentioning, as, as I think is implied in what you're saying, Jill, that I think this decision is, um, I don't want to call it a victory, or it's, it's just, it's the right thing. I mean, it's a victory for the rule of law and for justice. And I see so much debate going on already on Twitter and on cable, you know, people saying, oh, well, Trump's going to get away with it because he's not going to have to release it, you know, it's not going to come out. Maybe, but for people who were looking for a political solution in the Supreme Court, frankly, they were looking in the wrong place. What I'm pleased by is that the Supreme Court and a bi, you know, bipartisan, I don't think judges are political, but you know, they're appointed by people of different parties, that we have judges, justices who were appointed by all different political parties and, and, and uh, political figures, including Trump, who could come together and say, one very simple, important concept, the president is not above the law. And in today's world, we, we can't take that for granted anymore. So I was hugely relieved and pleased and excited to see that. 
what comes after that is, you know, there's a lot in the details that's, that's going to um, determine how this plays out. But it means that it, it, if nothing else, Donald Trump, as president, as candidate, as, you know, former president, hopefully, um, will have to face the scrutiny of top, you know, prosecutors and investigators in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office for um, possible, uh, likely, <laughs> fraud and tax crimes. And um, that's the way it should be. And how that plays out, we don't know exactly, but, but that is just such an important, that people are already skipping over that to the, oh, well now, you know, the, what isn't perfect about it. You know, right. but as you know, I mean, look, someone who um, will have the power of the prosecutor's office, you know, um, should be careful in how we talk about future possible cases. But suffice it to say that, you know, as you say, um, the, what, what this really shows is that Donald Trump, whether as president or former president, will be able to challenge any criminal investigation uh, subpoenas that are brought, just like anybody else. But that's a high standard. I mean, subpoenas are very broad. Prosecutors have a lot of discretion um, in, uh, in, in executing them, in, in serving them, in getting information with them. And we already have so much information in the public record that would almost warrant a subpoena in and of itself. The scope of the subpoena, I suppose, can be limited. And it is true that Donald Trump um, and his family do own some property in Westchester County. I don't know of any investigations <laughs> going on with there, but you know, everything uh, is, is open to possibility. Okay, so sort of related to that um, is the concept of the local prosecutor versus the federal prosecutor. And um, when we had Elian, we did talk a lot about what the problems were in the Department of Justice and how the rule of law was being stymied, shall we say, in polite terminology, and all of the things that Barr has done that are clearly unusual for an attorney general. And um, you know, in the past, we've relied on the federal government, uh, particularly, for example, in civil rights cases, they were the ones who came to bring national order when the states didn't do it. Now it looks like maybe the DAs and the state attorneys general may be the people who are the most important in protecting uh, civil rights, even in things like the uh, George Floyd case, uh, in terms of police misconduct, whether there is any kind of uh, civil rights violations, and so I just sort of want to talk a little bit about, you know, your role as DA, but also whether the DA can solve some of the gaps that are now existing in the Department of Justice. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an important point because I think for those of us who grew up really in the Department of Justice, we viewed it as something that was above politics, you know, not completely, but as much as uh, a, a justice system could be. And you know that there's no better example of that, I think, than Preparar, who I served under for eight years. I'm sure Ellie spoke about him, mm -hmm. um, and who was the one who appointed me to head up the um, White Plains Division for the Southern District of New York, um, because pre, you know, brought cases regardless of the po the politics of the person who was being investigated. He investigated Democrats, Republicans. Um, some of those cases were popular. Some of them weren't popular. You know, it, he just did what was right. Um, and now what we're seeing is just the complete inversion of that by Bill Barr. I mean, he, he's literally 
turn that concept on its head. So I think that one thing that local, um, the district attorneys and attorneys general can do is in a very broad sense, you know, be the institutions that are as much as possible pursuing justice, pursuing cases for the right reasons, not because of a political outcome or a political impact. It's why in my campaign, one of the first things I did when I announced, literally the first thing I did on the day I announced my uh, campaign back in December was that I'm not taking campaign donations from elected officials um, or from police unions or from defense attorneys with cases in front of my office because it is a reality that DAs need to raise money to campaign but I think the unique relationship that district attorneys have with each of those parties um, makes it complicated to take money from those parties because they are all potential allies and they are all potential uh, foes, quite, quite frankly. You know? And not because police are bad, but because sometimes we do have a bad police officer who needs to be investigated. And the police union will do its job to protect that police officer. That's their job and they should do that. But that doesn't mean that you know I should respond to that necessarily, or or anyone else should respond just because they say so. Um, and so, and the same with a defense attorney. You know, you just don't want people to question your decisions um, as being motivated by something, anything other than truth, justice, you know, and and the law and the facts. So I think that one thing that's that's sort of a big part of how I view this is prosecutors showing look there is another way to do this you know we don't all, we don't have to view the power of the prosecutor as a political tool which is exactly what bill barr is using it for it seems mm -hmm. so that's one area and then um again you know i go back to the example of um shannon watts the founder of mom's demand action her whole theory was that if you know for 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 now at least we weren't going to get very far with gun control gun safety legislation at the federal level so let's start at the state and local level and that's been hugely successful you create the movement there and it trickles up basically and i think that is is working and i think the same thing can be true of justice and reform and now you know what everyone's talking about police reform and accountability if we do it in one local jurisdiction and that becomes the norm that is how we we create that being a systemic change and movement around the country definitely and do yeah. we have any plans for police reform in in your office yes <laughs> a lot of plans um and you know there there's so many um different ways to approach this but I think some of the most basic forms, first of all, as I said, not taking police don uh, donations, campaign donations, um, and helping. So there is actually a task force that's been established here in Westchester um, that has different members that are looking into, you know, going to propose reforms um, for the police. And then individually, the police departments themselves are doing uh, different things. I think we should make it as uniform as possible. But we need to look at civilian complaint review boards for every police department and possibly here on a county-wide level as well. I mean, Westchester is unique because we have over 40 different police departments in the county and then also have the county police and then also the state and federal uh, law enforcement. So there are a lot of different entities. So the, the DA's role in part, I think, is to 
help kind of uniform and centralize a lot of the standards um, that, that we're going to have. I mean, obviously, there's going to be changes in training. I think one important thing that a DA in particular can do, though, is have standards about the cases we take. So, you know, it's not just that we need to investigate when there is possible corruption or misconduct or uh, use of force by police officers. Those need to be investigated thoroughly. And quite frankly, that hasn't been done un under the current DA, which became a real issue in our campaign as it was exposed. Um, but even putting that aside, because as you know, it's a very high standard to bring a criminal case. Okay, maybe there is or maybe there isn't a criminal case to bring, but that doesn't mean we should take every single case a police officer or police department brings to us. We need to make sure that the cases live up to our standards of integrity, of um, fairness, um, not to mention you know, constitutionality. So um, I think that that needs to be um, a, a practice that is known and it will help reinforce the good behavior and it will help reinforce the good cops who there are so many of to speak out when they see something problematic. And we need to have a better and systematic means of investigating conduct when it is alleged against a police officer, because the police officer deserves a fair process. It can't just be that every time someone makes an allegation, that's it, their career is over. But it also can't be that it just gets investigated by a police department and decided internally. So we need something in between that. And I think that's what we're, what, one of the important things that we're working on now. I think you're echoing something that uh, Joyce Vance, another sister-in-law, just wrote in Time Magazine. Uh, so you'd be interested in that. Um, but I know Victor has some questions. Yeah, I mean, kind of relating it back to your election, your recent election for um, district attorney against the current incumbent um, who represents the um, Westchester County as district attorney. So this is obviously a big moment for young people. And I think we're seeing across the country, younger people running for offices at higher rates. So can you kind of walk us through why you decided to run for DA? Um, your experience organizing a, cam a campaign, what that process was like, you know, running against an incumbent, and what advice you'd have for younger people like myself who may be interested in running for local, state, or federal offices later down the road? Yeah, so um, it's definitely been a, a journey <laughs> because of the word my campaign manager used, um, and that's right, and especially for someone like me who really just, I do not have a political background. I am a prosecutor, that's what I've always done. Um, so getting into this, this area is, um, you know, it's both, uh, I mean, to be completely frank, which I always am, um, it is both disheartening, but also encouraging. The disheartening part is that, you know, there are so many different um, forces in politics that are just so entrenched in the way that it's always been you know, meaning they support, you know, the person or, uh, you know, who, who the party nominates because the party nominated them. And why did the party nominate them? You know, maybe because they were qualified, maybe because they helped other people on their campaigns or, you know, have sort of been around, you know, in the network, in the old boys network often, but not always. Um, so, you know, those, those kinds of sort of criteria and standards that I think are too often used um, for what makes someone, you know, this is the person that we're going to put forward as the nominee um, or support are, are just old and outdated at this point. And so what the heartening part for me is that I don't have any of that. I mean, I haven't been an insider in any Democratic Party. I've considered myself a Democrat. I've supported Democratic candidates. 
I think I've done a lot to uphold the principles of the Democratic Party, but I haven't been a party insider. And so I came into it saying, look, that, if that's what you're looking for, that's not me, but here's what I do bring to the table. And so what's heartening is how much people do seem to have responded to that. And not just right now, that looks like we're winning the primary strongly, but it even looks like we are winning all across the county. So right. in a, Westchester is a very, very diverse county. I and mean, we have big cities like Yonkers and Mount Vernon, and then we have small towns like Scarsdale, where I live, and you know Bronxville and Pound Ridge. And then we have northern counties that are much more kind of you know, more northern towns that are much more kind of um, rural. And so you, you really have this very, very diverse um, community in so many ways. And right now we are literally leading in after the in-person voting. We were leading by big margins in every single town, county. Uh, so I keep saying county, town, city, um, and even districts within the cities. Now, at the end of the day, after the absentee ballots are counted, maybe that won't exactly hold up, but I do believe that this broad coalition will hold up. And that, right. to me, is makes me maybe even more proud than just winning, you know, because we're, it's not that we're winning because, well, this part of the county voted for me or this type of person, but because a lot of people of all different backgrounds and, uh, you know, uh, origins and, and, and everything, you know, just are, are looking for something, I think, looking for change, but looking for something more substantive, more positive, more forward thinking, more, you know, innovative, more, real. Um, I mean, I have never been one to sort of talk in sound bites, as you can tell. <laughs> um, I've never been one to, you know, kind of mince my words because it might not be the right thing to say. And, you know, I'm sure that will get me into trouble at some points. But I do think people respond to genuineness mm -hmm. because that's what we all do in our lives. So why would we want something so different in our elected officials who are leaders? Mm -hmm. um, so what I would say to young people is that it's it's not easy, is definitely hard. Raising money is the absolute hardest and worst part of it. Um, that's a whole other question of what we should do to reform uh, electoral politics in America. Mm -hmm. But until that's done, it's very much reality. And that part of it is, is really, really hard. But I think that young people are activists by, by nature. And so it's a good time to use that energy and that, um, again, genuineness about wanting to just do good, people really respond to that and then actually try to hold on to that though. I mean, I think that's gonna be the hardest part is once you're in office, how do you stay true to yourself and your ideals and not give in to these forces? I'm confident I can do it, but I know it's not gonna be easy. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna need a lot of people around me to remind me why I got into this and what I'm doing and tell me when I'm wrong and tell me when I shouldn't give in to something. And you know that's one of the things that um, I think Donald Trump has been a disaster in so many ways. But he doesn't have people to tell him that. You know, he mm -hmm. never, or he does, and he doesn't listen. Right. Um, you know, one of the things I like about Joe Biden is I think he will surround himself with people who will tell him he's doing a good job, and people who will tell him he's doing not a good job. And you need to have both. That's probably one of the most important qualities in a good leader.
Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we all hope that Joe Biden is elected in November. Um, and kind of touching upon what you said before, like, I think a reason why I supported Joe Biden earlier on is because of his authenticity and why, you know, he's experienced so much hardship and how he can relate to people and that um, empathy. But kind of looking more towards November in terms of mail-in ballots for your race in particular, we've seen, um, I mean, we've been waiting for these official results from your race to be counted because of these mail-in ballots. But it's now this been two weeks-ish since your election, and we expect this process to take um, a little while longer. So for all us often impatient young people out there, do you foresee this type of delay to be happening um, on November 3rd when masses of people will be voting by mail? And what measures do you think should be in place to make sure that our votes are counted smoothly and swiftly after election day? Yeah, I mean, look, this was very upsetting to me that in Westchester, that is, you know, largely a Democratic county, mm -hmm. run, the election was run by, it was a Democratic primary, and yet we had so many problems that, whether intentional or not, did lead to voter disenfranchisement. And I'm, I'm not the only one saying this. I mean, a lot of people here are upset about that. Um, and so, but you think, well, if that can happen here in Westchester within the Democratic Party, what happens when, you know, all over the country and when the Republicans um, are uh, at play and, and trying to, you know, arguably create um, problems. Um, so it's, it's, it's very upsetting and, and frightening, actually, and, and kind of enraging. Right. <laughs> um, and a lot of people have had very strong reactions to that. I will say that they were required by law to wait seven days after the election before okay. counting the ballots to make mm -hmm. sure they all got in. So there was some good reason for the delay because we do want people to be able to get those ballots in. Mm -hmm. We encouraged people to vote by absentee ballots. It was absolutely, and a lot of people listened. So we have, I think in Westchester, I don't remember the exact number, but it's over 60,000 absentee ballots, which is just off the charts. Yeah. I think in a normal year, it's been like 5,000. Um, so that's good. And those need to be counted. But why there was a delay on top of the seven days I couldn't tell you, um, you know, yes, this is a difficult year and getting people, you know, physically to a place to count ballots, but there's definitely been, I would say at best inefficiencies um, that need to be fixed um, here and I'm sure in other places and, and people should not only look at what happened here and figure out what went wrong, but other jurisdictions should look here and figure out what went wrong because it's gonna go wrong there as well. Um, I mean, we have people, I was in Mamaroneck, one of our um, larger uh, villages, um, towns in Westchester at 1030 at night, people had been waiting in line for three wow. hours um, wow. and they were still waiting on and they were, luckily were very determined and were not leaving. But you could see a place where in 90 degree heat at 1030 at night, people just said, you know what, I'm going home. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not just, you know, the absentee ballots, but on election day, something went really wrong. Um, so, and, and I've just heard so many stories and I, I do know that the county legislators here are looking into it. Um, they had a hearing, uh, public hearing last night where people could speak. So I, I do think there will be some progress, but I think the bottom line is that one thing I learned is that I think jurisdictions need to be prepared for huge amounts of mail-in ballots, but they also need to be prepared on election day because people are going to show up. And I think that's one thing that happened here is that they maybe underestimated how many people would show up in person given COVID. But I think first of all, because people are starting to feel more comfortable going out and because people will literally walk over glass to vote against Donald Trump, 
um, or, or you know, there's probably people who will walk over glass to vote for him too. So there are going to be a large number of people who do show up and they just need to be prepared for both. I also think the American public needs to wrap its head around the idea that we are not necessarily gonna know the official winner on November 3rd, much like in my election. Now, because my, you know, um, margins are so big, it's very, I'm in a very comfortable place where I can forge ahead and start at least preparing for the general election, even while we're waiting for this. There are races where it's much closer that there are lawsuits going on. So the bottom line is, you know, it, for those of us who do not want Donald Trump to be reelected, we have to not only elect Joe Biden, but elect him by huge margins. Right. It just right. needs to, I mean, just has to happen. It just has to, because otherwise it's going to be tied up for a long time. Definitely. And I think that requires everyone from my age to Jill's age to all come out and vote in huge numbers. Um, and kind of shifting into um, the last topic of today's um, podcast, um, last I was exploring um, kind of your campaign website and, and one of your main ads, um, you had mentioned that the reason why you jumped into advocacy and became a prosecutor was, became, was because one of your friends was um, the victim of sexual assault. And now that you are expected to become DA and um, go into the general election in Westchester, um, what is your vision as the next uh, district attorney and um, how would you affect change in a way that matters to all generations on these different issues such as um, racial justice and um, women's rights to really make sure that um, all generations um, see a better future? Yeah, I mean, I, I became a prosecutor because um, actually my own mother had been the victim mm -hmm. of a sexual assault many, many years ago. And um, the justice system didn't really take it seriously. So I, I, I like to explain to people that I think in many ways we've come a long, long way from that where, you know, yes, rape is treated as a real crime now, but in other ways we still have so far to go. It's just we're looking now at different issues. And I think young people in particular would speak to um, a wide range of sexual assaults, for example, that are just still not taken seriously and where the bias of law enforcement, you know, and, and I don't exempt anyone from this, prosecutors also, or especially, um, plays into deciding which cases get prosecuted or even thoroughly investigated or not. And that is a sort of fundamental systemic problem we need to deal with. We need to teach prosecutors that they cannot, you know, they may not even be aware that they're using those biases, though some of them are very blatant, right? That, well, I mean, there was a case recently here in Westchester that I've talked about before where um, a police officer accused another police officer of sexual assault, mm -hmm. and she was told that they weren't going to bring her case because she didn't seem upset enough after the assault. Wow. And so a jury wouldn't believe her. Or even in Manhattan, the very, you know, widely publicized case now, Andrew Yang's wife has spoken about it, um, where many, many women were sexually assaulted by uh, an OB OBGYN, many of them while pregnant in the office, just horrific case. And they, some of the victims were told initially, we're not bringing the case because you wouldn't be good witnesses because since you were pregnant, you couldn't see the sexual assault that was taking place. I mean, it's just crazy oh, um, yeah. and outdated. And so again, this is where I think young people, they, would laugh at that basically, would say that's ridiculous. So they can bring that perspective as prosecutors, in, as people in law enforcement, and as survivors who you know are willing to bring their cases forward. And part of what a, a sort of another sort of um, value or, or mind shift I think the prosecutors need to have is that it isn't, 
you can't just decide, okay, I'm gonna bring the cases that I'm going to win. You need to bring the cases that are the right cases to bring, even if you might not win them. Now, that doesn't mean you just go haphazardly charging cases, but there are often righteous cases to bring that will help inform other survivors, other victims to come forward, even if you lose the case, but they say, you know what, we know we've got people there in that prosecutor's office who believe in us, who will listen to us, who will help us bring that case forward. Maybe you win it, maybe you don't. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, you know, that's why the Harvey Weinstein case has been um, so such a big deal, is not just because about Harvey Weinstein being held accountable, but the message it sends to other survivors that even if you've had a past relationship with someone, you still are have, entitled to say um, that someone committed a crime if they did. Mm -hmm. Um, and when it comes to racial justice, there's just, you know, we talked about police reform a little bit, but there's so much we need to do in terms of culture change in our society as a whole, but certainly, and perhaps most importantly, in prosecutors' offices, because prosecutors who may have even, you know, un, like implicit sort of unrecognized biases, they carry into these decisions that are just hugely important about who gets charged, who doesn't, what sentences, who gets you know, treatment, who doesn't. And so we need to focus on that, um, that those values and, and that, that mind change, mm -hmm. as well as just individual cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Great responses. Um, is there any question that we didn't ask you that you feel you really want to get out a message either to the voters in your county or um, to the United States. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the world. Uh, no, I mean, you guys have touched <laughs> yeah. on really important topics and, and, and the two most important being that I, I do hope that young people engage, whether it be running for office or working on campaigns. We had 20 different interns um, wow. from high school and college levels who were amazing and, you know, just uh, energetic and, and involved and passionate. Um, so young people just being engaged um, mm -hmm. and, and doing, and then also just voting <laughs> yeah. is, it's, it's so simple in a way, but could not be more important this year, as I know you both know. Mm -hmm. Those are great pieces of advice. Be informed, be involved, vote, and get out the vote. Right. That's the other right. thing is make sure that all your friends are voting. It's not mm -hmm. enough for you to vote. And that goes, whether you're in a, a swing state or a solidly blue or a solidly mm -hmm. red, everyone should take seriously their citizens' right mm -hmm. and obligation to vote. Right. And I hope everybody in Westchester is voting for Mimi in November. <laughs> Definitely. Thank and I think you. great you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I think just like Barack Obama said, um, he did this Medium article um, shortly after um, George Floyd's killing. He stressed the importance of not just voting for, obviously, Joe Biden and some of the more federal offices, but also voting for yes. people like you who have significant impact on the future of um, these local municipalities and um, local districts. So we just want to say thank you so much for joining this discussion. Um, we hope that everyone listening here also enjoyed this episode. So be sure to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and lastly, we're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts now, so be sure to subscribe and rate our channel there. So thank you so much again, and um, see you on our next episode. Thanks, and thanks for all you guys are doing.